your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Nine oh three on character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. This tweet from Matt Carpenter earlier today, the Cardinal third baseman, tweets. I miss rain delays. I miss getting jammed in cold weather. I miss batting gloves. I miss batting gloves. I miss long <laughs> replay reviews that don't get overturned even though he was safe. I miss umpires. I miss long flights at 3 a.m. after a tough loss. I miss the shift. I do. I miss it all. He's he, he's jonesing for his ball. But aren't you? Yeah, but not so much that I want to see the shift against Matt Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I would even take that, Randy. That's the state I'm in. But yeah, I, I miss the loud guy behind me heckling. I miss people spilling beer on my shoes. I miss people trying to get the wave going, even though the wave is terrible. How about the uh, Ric Flair woo in the late innings when I everybody's will, left? I'll take an entire game of woos. I mean, I miss sitting outside of Bush Stadium in the in the St. Louis humidity and thinking, am I on the surface of the sun? I miss paying $14 for a single beer. You should drink beer before you go in the show. <laughs> and I know it's not $14, but that was hyperbole. Eight, eight or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, how about uh, waiting in line for an inning and a half or more to get uh, your Asian stir fry down the right field line? Well, you know, Randy, that I'm getting the pulled pork nachos, and I, those in fact, fabulous. miss standing in that line. And those are right across, right? Section 136-ish? I believe. Because is that where the home plate nachos are, too? The And the tater tot nachos? I've never had the tater tot nachos, so I'm not exactly sure of location. They sound amazing. But I know that the pulled pork nachos stand that I frequent is um, it's right past home plate, past the team store. It's kind of in that little nook in the back by the entry gate Mm -hmm. that has the the car and the truck right there. Yep. And, you know, I miss waiting in that line for 40 minutes and then getting up there and then them being out of pepperoni peppers. Oh, yeah. I just, I miss all of it. Okay. Well, I want you to take this to heart then. This is a Jeff Passon tweet from yesterday, but it's important. He writes, this week will get ugly for baseball, and it'll get easy to get pessimistic. Don't. As MLB and the union meet, both sides have too much to lose to allow money to blow up the sport's return. And Jeff Passon, I believe, is... The man. When ESPN hired Jeff Passan as their insider, I thought, what are they doing? And they said, well, we want him to be the Adam Schefter of baseball, the Woj of baseball. And he is that guy now. Mm -hmm. There's nobody that is more in tune with what's happening in Major League Baseball than Jeff Passan. So while we hear that yesterday's meeting produced no formal offer on the part of the owners, and while we hear that players are upset that they might have to negotiate for less money. And while we hear 
John Heyman reporting that owners say that they would lose less money not playing than playing with the only prorated salaries. It is a negotiation, and we have to keep that in mind. And ordinarily, somebody famous said this, that uh, deadlines precipitate results. And once they reach a deadline, whenever that might be, and Passon, I believe, thinks it'll be in the next two weeks, mm-hmm. then they'll reach an agreement. But until then, both sides are going to get every little tidbit that they can get out of this negotiation. I think the point you made about deadlines, whoever said that quote about deadlines. Mm-hmm. Might be Andrew Brandt. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart because it is true. And one of the things that I've been looking at when I'm reading different things from Passon or a lot of these other insiders or players or who are speaking about this is when they talk about or imply a sense of urgency. And I, I think you're right. I think that if baseball is looking at some sort of arbitrary deadline to get this done, that both sides are going to feel that sense of urgency and hopefully concede. Because both both sides are going to have to concede something for this mm-hmm. to get done. It's going to be uncomfortable for both sides. Both sides should walk away from this, the owners and the Players Association, being unsatisfied but understanding that a compromise is needed to get this done. And if that owner is correct, and I think it would be smart on the part of the owners for this one time to open up their books. If you're telling the players we want a 50-50 revenue split, then they have to know exactly what the revenues are. And they, they have to be satisfied that the revenues are X, and that's how we come up with Y, which is 50% of the revenues. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense for players just to believe what the revenues are, and they're going to have to determine what they are, and they'll have to go through that quickly because there's, for example, Ballpark Village or in Chicago outside of Wrigley Field is the money that is generated, which won't be generated this year, from those entities, part of baseball revenue or not. So I, I do think that owners need to take it upon themselves to be transparent in these negotiations. But at the end of the day, if I'm a, I, w- I wouldn't expect, and I know my bosses are losing money right now, but I wouldn't expect my bosses to say, yeah, we're going to lose money and we're happy about it. No, of course not. And in a lot of workplaces across the country and across the world, people are having to have those conversations because companies are losing money hand over fist and employees are having to react and adjust their expectations and the things that they realize that they're going to get or not get because of that fact. So let's take a look at what the possibilities are. We could have what the owners are reportedly proposing, which is playing in home parks, but the Dodgers won't be able to play at least the first part of their season in their home park. Arizona is opening up Saturday for all pro sports. That has to be a message to Major League Baseball, right? With New York having their issues with L.A. County now saying no, uh, we're keeping our stay-at-home order in place until the end of July. Seems to me like Arizona is inviting major major league sports to come down and play there if they can't play where they want to play. And it's kind of a great business decision by them, no? To say, hey, you guys are considering all of this stuff. Well, guess what? We're open for business. Mm-hmm. Come Saturday, you can come play here. And we have facilities and, and we have certain guidelines in place and we'll do whatever need be to accommodate you and and make sure that you guys are protected. And as far as the other sports, the NHL, Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, saying that they really don't have uh, an idea right now of what the, the end product will look like. However, 
Momentum is geared towards a 24-team playoff right now. The regular season would end, and they go back to 68 games. Everybody's played at least 68 games. That's how you would seed a 24-team tournament, and you'd play it that way. I don't like that because you can't do a 24-team tournament without the top teams not having a bye. I don't want a bye as two, a couple of teams get an opportunity to get their game legs. If I'm the Blues, I don't want two teams playing a series mm-hmm. before I get a chance to play a game. Yeah, you know, inevitably, there's going to be some sort of rust. So you're right. That would be what should be perceived as an advantage would be a big disadvantage. Yeah, so that's something that the NHL will have to look at. And as far as the NBA is concerned, their superstar players got together on a conference call, uh, 17 or 18 of the premier players in the sport, and said, we want to finish off this regular season, and they're willing to be patient to do so. Which is definitely a positive sign, because I think, you know, when you when you have watched this played out, the NBA has been pretty silent. Uh, mm-hmm. you've, you've heard things here and there. Adam Silver has made some comments, but not to the extent that we've heard coming out of baseball. And you kind of wondered, okay, at least I did, if base or if excuse me, if the NBA is being so quiet, is it because they don't see a way around this? And they're silently saying, hey, this season just might not happen. So for the players to come out and kind of get the green light to a lot of the people running this show in the NBA, I think that's going to put some things into motion. So once again, the delay of sports and the fact that we don't have sports is today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. It's coming your way next here with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle always comes up with great items for us to react to. And uh, this is You're Killing Me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Jumped over that. Here, fire it one more time. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, I stepped on it again. Go ahead. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. Third time's a charm. Nailed Perfect. it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> You'd think after, I don't know, a week and a half, Randy, that I would know that the sounder is coming after you intro it. But, hey, we're all learning here. We're we'll all give just, you a month. We're all just doing our best. <laughs> all right, Randy, we know that the Patriots have been selling a lot of Jared Stidham stock, no? Mm, they have. And I don't know if you're picking up what they're necessarily throwing down, if you're buying the hype that they're selling, but... Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury has gotten in on the Jared Stidham hype. He was talking to WEEI up in Boston, and he says, I recruited Jared Stidham to Texas Tech. He was committed to me for about a year, and so I've always had a high regard of him as a player and a person. I know they're very high on him up there in New England. It's going to be hard to replace the greatest of all time, but Josh and those guys, Josh McDaniels, and those guys up there do a phenomenal job of developing quarterbacks, and if they feel confident in him, I feel confident in what they have going on. I'm excited to watch him play. So, hearing someone like Cliff Kingsbury also say, hey, this is a kid that I thought was super talented. I actually wanted him to come play for me. I think that this could be something that, that New England can develop. I think that this could be a positive thing. Are you buying what Kingsbury is also selling about Jared Stidham? Cliff Kingsbury had the first pick in the draft last year and obviously liked Kyler Murray a lot better than Jared Stidham. Mm-hmm. But they had a lot of draft choices. If he thought the guy was that good... They didn't really. They have Brett Hundley as a backup. He had every opportunity to take Jared Stidham. If he thinks he's that good as Kyler Murray's backup, this would not have been unprecedented. The Redskins took RG3 with the second pick in the draft and took Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. So I think you have to put your money where your mouth is. If you like a guy that much, you have to take him. 
But his rebuttal would be there was also another guy that got away in Kyler Murray. Because doesn't this sound like a, a repeat story of the way that he felt about Kyler Murray? Totally, yeah. And that's uh, he, they sh- he should have both of them on their roster if he, if he loved the guy that much. So I'm not buying it. I think that he is just trying to pump the tires of McDaniels and Belichick, and there's nothing wrong with that. They play them this year. So I, I would want them to think that Jared Stidham is great, too. Although I think Belichick probably has a pretty good idea as to what he has. He probably, probably doesn't have to hear from Cliff Kingsbury about it. Probably not. Um, he also said that said um tremendous over the football very accurate he has a cool calm confidence about him doesn't try too hard around the guys guys like being around him they gravitate towards him that always struck me just how he carries himself does that change your mind at all no <laughs> me either i also i always i understand that if you're at wei i mean we're sitting in these chairs if we had a, a new quarterback here in st louis we would of course be asking people about that quarterback it's a question that you're going to ask but it's one of those things where another head coach in the nfl is not going to rip the quarterback right. and or rip the patriots choice it's just never going to happen so you have to take all of this with a grain of salt i have never seen a quarterback where the players gravitated to him and he carried himself better and was more charismatic than Kyle Bowler, who was, you know, he was dating the good-looking girl. He carried himself well. His teammates loved him. Uh, he apparently threw a ball through the goalpost from his knees from 50 yards Impressive. in college, but he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> So, great guy. I love the fact that guys carry themselves well, but how you doing when you have a defensive lineman hanging from your knees and you have to get the ball 30 yards downfield into a tight window? I want to see that from Jared Stidham. Me too. You're killing me, small. Speaking of quarterbacks, Randy, we've been talking about Jake Cutler, Kristen Cavallari, their unfortunate divorce is in the news. And one of the things that people had been saying, sources, if you will, the streets were talking, and they were saying that Kristen had an issue with Jay being lazy. And unmotivated. And your response to that was? Have you ever looked at the guy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Randy, other sources are coming out saying that's never the case, okay? Kristen was not upset with Jay for being lazy. She was upset because he was rude, distant, and a jerk during their marriage. They lasted quite a while for him being rude, distant, and a jerk, I would say. That's a better reason to divorce somebody, I would think. But my impression of him... Before Kristen Cavallari was ever on The Hills, was it? The Hills? Yeah, The Hills. Thank you. Beach. How about that? The Hills. I never watched it, but yes, okay. it's true. Uh, he was a rude, inconsiderate jerk when he was a rookie with the Denver Broncos. So she should have known better about uh, his his demeanor when she married him. This was just another log on the fire of the point you were trying to make earlier, Randy. You didn't know that he was rude, distant, and a jerk when you first met him? (laughs) Come on, Kristen. I mean, isn't that kind of part of his charm, that he's a rude, distant jerk? People... People hated Jay Cutler for a long time. They were like, this guy's terrible, punchable face, you know. I think a lot of people just pictured him on that bike on the sidelines and in the coat during the game, and they were just like, I'm done with Jay Cutler. People that watched the reality show or maybe saw him in, you know, a media interview or something after that were were like, this guy really doesn't care what anybody thinks, and there's something sort of endearing about that. He made the show. Yes, he did. But for you to then... 
and listen, I don't know the intricacies of their marriage, but for, for one of the reasons to be, hey, I don't like him because he's rude, distant, and a jerk, well, yeah, we know that. We saw it on, I think, year one of the show where she was going out to work and he was sitting at home. He didn't, I think it was, this was maybe between football stints with the Bears and the Dolphins, and she told him, like, one thing, take out the trash, and she was gone for, like, nine hours. And she comes home and the trash isn't taken out. Why haven't you, why haven't you taken out the trash? I had things I was doing. <laughs> it was perfect. And you know what? All right. Yeah. I understand both sides of that. Well, you don't want to have a rude, distant jerk living with you. But you should also have the common sense to realize that people don't change much when they get to that age. He was a rude, distant jerk for a long time before she was around. That is true. Randy, are you a reality TV person? Sometimes. I, I can't believe that right now Big Brother isn't on. I've never watched Big Brother. It's it's compelling at times. It's, it's really one of the sad aspects of society that people watch it. <laughs> but don't you feel that way about a lot of reality I television? Do. Almost shows? all reality TV. Okay, so Big Brother, what else is on the Randy Carricker reality TV agenda? Well, just because of the fact that uh, it's guilt by association a little bit, I see a lot of Top Chef and Below Deck, stuff like that. Top Chef is amazing. It is great. I know it's reality TV, but to me, Top Chef is kind of elevated reality TV. You know what, though? Nobody can eat a dish that small. Nobody's eating a two-inch by two-inch piece of salmon. <laughs> have you ever been to a fancy restaurant and they have many courses? I have, and it they, drives me crazy. They bring it out and it's one bite? Yeah, it drives me crazy. When I was in... Um, Thailand over the holidays, we went to this restaurant and it was a 25 course meal wow. and everything that came out was one bite. And you know, the first, you obviously go there starving. You mm. don't eat anything all day because you're like 25 courses. And the first couple that come out, you're like, all right, am I ever going to be full? And by the end, you want to throw up because you're so full because it takes a while for your body to process right. that you're full. But yeah, I always, I never understood that where restaurants would, you know, they would think it was part of the fancy element, the elegant element of being a high-quality restaurant where they bring everything out in tiny, tiny portions. Two questions. Number one, did you know from a detailed perspective everything that you were eating? Did you take it upon yourself to find out exactly what you were eating in Thailand? At that restaurant? Yes. So this was uh, a restaurant where they, when they brought it out, it was more art. It was the, it was the presentation, and mm -hmm. they would have to walk you through every single ingredient that was in okay. it because it was here's this bowl and there's, you know, some sort of a custard in it and I'm going to pour this liquid and then it's going to mix together. And so they're explaining all of the ingredients and how everything kind of blends together. So culturally, nothing that we would never dream of eating here was included there. No, it's not like they were saying, okay. hey, here's a scorpion. Good luck. Okay. And then the second thing, how was the dessert? Amazing. The dessert was really good. But I have to say, I'm such a dessert person. But by the time I got to the end of that meal, I was just kind of like... Oh, my God, another one, another dessert. Because I think they brought out three different desserts. 25 might be, 25 bites, though. Yeah, that might be about my limit. I think I would be probably full, too. Because you have to think, some of them were more than one bite. It would be like a three-bite deal. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. a three-bite baby sandwich or something like that. Yeah. But, I'm willing to give it a shot. But I was with, it was a group of us that were there, and some of the guys that I was with, mm -hmm. when we went, all our group went back to the hotel, they ordered room service. They were not full. Oh, really? Okay. So you, so I don't know. It depends on what your appetite is. And they were very angry that we had gone to this three-hour dinner and that they had to order <laughs> some pad tied to the room afterwards. <laughs> I would have called Domino's. You know what? I wonder if, if they have Domino's 
in Thailand. Uh, I think they're everywhere. You know what is crazy popular in Thailand? A 7-Eleven. There was a 7-Eleven on every corner. I couldn't believe it. They're big time, yeah. 7-Eleven, huge in Thailand. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, last one, Randy. Speaking of reality TV, the Kardashians are in hot water, and I want to get your take on this. Chloe okay. Kardashian pulled a prank on her sister, Courtney. She toilet papered her entire house, and people very upset that they would do this because there's obviously a toilet paper shortage in a lot of places in America. Mm-hmm. We're in a pandemic here, and they're saying, okay, really? You're going to, you, you have such an excess of toilet paper that you're going to use it and waste it on toilet papering someone else's house? This is a perfect example of how tone deaf they are and how detached from reality the Kardashians are. For having a reality show to not understand that there are people that were buying paper towels because they couldn't get toilet paper. It's really disturbing and it just shows the typical vapidness of that family. Yeah. You know, read the room, maybe, before you post something like that. Yeah, right. Maybe just look around a little bit and see what everybody else is doing. And then say, yeah, maybe the the toilet paper thing isn't funny. Yeah. I wonder if there is, is there, because I have never watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Is there any normal at all in that family? What you would perceive as normal. Like, for example, I don't perceive... uh, Bruce Jenner's change to, is it, what's her name now? Kaylin. Kaylin. I don't perceive that as typical or normal. Uh, I, I don't perceive having kids named Northwest as normal. <laughs> uh, just to, uh, having a couple of supermodels in your family is not normal. Is there any normal there? I think that's their normal. You know, I think what is normal is all relative. What is normal to you is based on your life experience and your circumstances and the environment that you grew up in and the environment that you exist in. They grew up in Hollywood with a dad that was on the OJ case Mm -hmm. and they were always kind of in the public eye and running in these circles. And while I think having someone film your life 24-7 for public consumption probably is even for them not normal, they've done it for 10 plus years, so it's their new normal. Tell me this as an OJ insider. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you and the best in the country. Thank you. At the time. Yeah. Now, it's an OJ. Yeah. If if it's just Bruce Jenner, and the family name isn't known, if Bob Kardashian isn't on national TV during the OJ trial, are they as big as they became? You you mean? I think they became. I think the Kardashian name was made big by him being on that trial. Oh, I agree, 100%. But I also think until they got that reality show, while Robert Kardashian was part of the OJ trial, and it was certainly a footnote to that story, nobody, when they were telling the story of the OJ trial, thought that Robert Kardashian was a major piece of that story. but we just heard the name. Yeah, you heard the name, so it was familiar to you, but until they got on that show, I mean, Kim really made them famous. Oh, yeah, with was it Ray J? Yeah, it was Ray J. It was, in fact, Rachel. Has yeah. she, do you think she's ever had any uh, cosmetic enhancements? You know, who am I to say? But if I was a gambling girl, I'd probably say yes. <laughs> okay. I would go ahead and guess yes. You're killing me, Smalls. But you know, you got to do whatever you got to do to feel good about and yourself, it's, it's Randy. It's worked for her. She's like closing in on a billion dollars, isn't she? Well, her sister Kylie, who has admitted to having some enhancements, is worth a billion dollars. It's amazing. Thank you.
You're welcome. That is uh, You're Killing Me Smalls here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk to our buddy Rick Horton, FS Midwest broadcaster and, of course, the former Cardinal. He'll join us next on 101 ESPN. With Michelle, I'm Randy. Great to have you with us. And always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and have the one and only Rick Horton be on the other end. It's good to have you with us on the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be with you guys today. And uh, we expect to have a lot of news this week, but uh, haven't heard it all yet as regard uh, to the, uh, the baseball negotiations. Rick, you have been in situations where either there has been a work stoppage or a near work stoppage. You can give us a little bit better information here, especially because you were involved with the Players Association. Uh, And Jeff Passan says, hey, these are negotiations. You don't have to worry about it. There's never a friendly negotiation between the Players Association and the baseball owners, is there? Well, you know, it's it's never friendly, you know, uh, certainly publicly. It just never has a good optic to it. Nobody wants to hear about uh, owners and baseball players fighting over money because that's essentially what it is. And it's not a fight. It's just negotiation. But when it becomes public, it just gets kind of ugly. So I was, you know, I was the proverbial fly on the wall, uh, Randy and Michelle. There was a time where I was on the negotiating committee uh, in uh, 1990 for the basic agreement. Of course, we remember when what went on through 1994. But here's the problem from the player's point of view. Think about how disconnected players are right now. And you are representing all of these guys across uh, the country and across the world, really, uh, for those who've gone uh, back home to the Dominican, et cetera, you, you're representing them, and you've got to communicate with them, get them all on the same page. I mean, it's a tough job for Tony Clark, uh, and you know, he's going to really kind of make or break his career, I think, by, by what happens over the next 12 months. Ricky, do you think that this is a situation where it's going to hurt for both sides? They recognize that these are an unusual set of circumstances. But when they look at the big picture and how this is going to affect the sport moving forward, that they are going to come to agreement based on that and that alone? I think they will, Michelle. I, I don't think there's too much pressure not to. I think you, you're talking about doing damage in the middle of the normal work stoppage. That's one thing. But when you've got kind of you know the country just you know, kind of wanting to kind of move forward and, and all of the angst that's gone along with that and the economic angst of it for, for people that work at the ballpark, et cetera. Uh, and, of course, that's going to be continuing. But I think uh, it, it's not the time to have a public discourse about this. I really wish they would have just said, you know what, Tony Clark and Rob Manford and all their, and all their people are going to kind of um, – hammer this out and we'll let you know what happens at the end so we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it but but it's it's almost the inevitable thing with negotiations like this of course you know the basic agreement was was coming up anyway so maybe bad timing on that but i wish they could just kind of decide that let's just move forward with this year with something that makes sense for everybody and not kind of mix it with what we want next year going forward and delay some of that negotiation Rick, I think one of the intriguing aspects to this, if it does get completed, is the 82-game schedule. Because as you have played on teams, and especially with Tony, Tony always had his team ready to kick it into gear in the latter part of August and September. This will be a sprint, won't it, for 82 games? It's going to feel like a short mar- a half a marathon. Yeah, yeah exactly. We always talk about the season being a marathon. Well, it's a half marathon. And, Randy, I'm at the age where I can't run marathons, but I can run half marathons. They're a lot easier. But but, but the pacing's different because you're thinking, okay, I've got, 
you know, you, you, you don't want to get off to a, a two and 15 start. And, you know, you think about teams that have been kind of noticing, I follow a, a thing on Twitter about the 85 Cardinals. I didn't realize we got off to such a bad start in 1985. And that was a terrific team and uh, went to the World Series. But, you know, bad starts can be very detrimental. I think that's part of the reason, uh, guys, why they want to expand the playoffs a bit, just to make sure that, you know, you, you don't miss a really good team that just uh, had a bad first uh, 10 days to two weeks. Rick, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we may see, too, is a universal DH. How do you feel about that, and how do you think the Cardinals would adapt to that? Well, I think, you know, it, it opens up some opportunities for the Cardinals. You could put Matt Carpenter in the DH as an example. I think that that would kind of work just fine, play Tommy Edmond at third base, and maybe there's there's an answer for you. I mean, that's just off the top of my head a, a thing that, that, that could happen. Uh, but, you know, long term, you know, for me to say I'm a fan of a, a DH, you know, I'd have to – kind of bang my head against the wall before I came to believe that. I mean, I'm just not a fan of the DH. Never have been, never liked it. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean we're not headed in that direction. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is, you know, change is inevitable in everything that we do, but you want to manage the change, and you want it to be a, a, a micro change, not a macro change. And the way baseball is right now, we already have a macro change because we're going to be paying attention to baseball games with no fans in the ballpark. That's bizarre for us. So there's a whatever you want to call that, a 30%, 40% change in the game already. Uh, I'm not in favor of too many changes beyond that, but I think, again, the DH is probably inevitable. Uh, I'm just not a fan. And I think one of the things, and I, I haven't read that they are going to get rid of the three batter minimum. If ever there was a time to not have the three batter minimum, it would be this year when you have a three-week spring training. Well, the other new rule that, that we got uh, taught on at, at our at our winter meetings uh, with with the broadcasters for Fox, we had, we went through a whole seminar on what the umpires were going to do to explain to the crowd what the review and the challenge was all about. Well, that's a moot point. We we had a, a lot of long meetings talking about what the umpires were going to be doing, and now there won't be anybody in the ballpark. So that was going to be a change too, actually for the better, I think. Uh, and long term, that's a good thing. But but I agree with you. I think you know the three batter minimum. You also have, of course, the expanded rosters, and, and I think they're going to expand even beyond what what they uh, were already going to do, just to kind of make sure that the spring training 2.0 doesn't last too long, and you get back in the games. And, and for you to do that, you're going to have to have several pitchers that can throw three or four innings, and, and probably nobody that's ready to throw seven or eight. Rick, we led the show talking about an article that our friend Will Leach put out at MLB.com where he picked the coolest player on every team, and he cast his vote on the, for the Cardinals for Colton, Colton Wong. Uh, before Randy and I revealed to you who we picked as our coolest player, we want to know who do you think is the coolest player on the Cardinals team? Well, I will get, when, I, when I, I saw that article and I thought for 100% sure, and now there's two guys that I would pick, and I'm, you know, Colton Long's cool. I don't want to be on record as saying Colton Long's not cool. <laughs> but, but, but I think it's a two-horse race between uh, Jack Flaherty and Harrison Bader because I, I see those guys, uh, the way they dress on the, on the road. I mean, they're trying to outdo each other, uh, and they're both, they're both some stylish dudes. And, you know, Bader with the hair, but Jack Flaherty's got that classic look to him. So I'm going to go with Jack Flaherty by a nose. I went with Jack Flaherty as well, and Rick, Michelle 
went with the Yachty. Explain your, your Yachty thought to Rick Horton. Yeah, so I think of Cool as someone who commands the room that they walk into and that very much owns themselves. You, Jack Flaherty is definitely cool. He was number two on my list, Rick. But he, like you mentioned, he's a classic cool. Yachty's the type of guy that whatever he does, he makes it cool. He's interesting. People think that they know Yachty, but he's like, oh, I also have a clothing line and a record label. And I do things that you might not consider to be normal, but I, I have all these different interests as well. So I picked Yachty because he defines what cool is. I can't disagree with that. Of course, cool. I mean, that's the great thing about that, the subjective nature of that. You know, honestly, one of the guys I think is pretty, pretty cool, too, is, is Carlos Martinez. Now, he's out there cool. But, but in terms of just when he comes in the room, you know, Carlos is in the room. I'd say the same thing about him. Obviously different than Yachty. Uh, but, you know, having a little flair and a little personality in the game is, uh, is a good thing. How's your golf game? It's actually getting better, Randy, uh, uh, from practice. <laughs> I realize that practice matters and playing often. Uh, you know, I just assume play less and talk about baseball more, but uh, that's kind of where we are right now. In fact, I'm headed there today to do some more of it. Uh, so I'm actually getting better, but, um, you know, that's uh, th- that's maybe not exactly what I'm hoping for. Uh, you'll be great. Hey, we always love talking to you. Thanks, Rick. Be safe, and we'll see you soon. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Take care. That is Cardinal Broadcaster, former Cardinal Rick Horton, joining us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Two votes for Jack Flaherty. We're going to have to have Danny Mack settle this when he joins us. Pretty cool guy. Danny Mack is coming in for the crossover next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up at the top of the hour, and he will visit with the Cardinal skipper, Mike Schilt. Always good to see you. Great show, guys. Thank uh, you. Man, that Rick Horton, he, can, he just brings you down, doesn't he? I mean, he's just a mean guy. <laughs> yeah. God, I love that guy. He's always he's, upbeat. He's always positive. He's fun to listen to. Good, he is, Sunshine. You're right. It was a great show. I, I enjoyed listening to it. Thank you. You've done Mizzou football in the past, and uh, we were both impressed by Eli Drinkwitz and his uh, his fun personality. Talk to him. Am I supposed to talk, Colin, or not? It, it was just a little drop. We had oh. Drinkwitz, you oh, know, okay. getting after Randy for bringing up Alabama. And oh. my timing was a little yeah. off. No, it's okay. I, I talked to Mike Kelly the other day, Voice of the Tigers, and uh, he did a virtual town hall, I guess it was, with Eli. And he said, man, he goes, the energy of this guy is just incredible. And it does come across when you see him on social media. I love how active he is on social mm-hmm. media where kids are living and uh, you know, for recruiting purposes, I think that's what you want. And I think if you're a fan of of, of football for Mizzou, he's going to be a breath of fresh air. Now, the bottom line is you got to win, but at least initially, with what he's done in recruiting here in St. Louis and getting those kids, that that's a big deal. Now, you dropped a lot of pounds. What do you think of the idea of an oatmeal diet? Every mm-hmm. meal, oatmeal with something. Is that what he's? Is he yeah. doing that? He's doing he's the oatmeal, oatmeal diet, diet right now. Why is he doing that? Because he went to Andy's custard too many times. <laughs> is that what he said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he, I grew up next to Ted Ruse, and I got I know what he's talking about. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not in on that one. No way. I'm into like the fruit. You know, try not to do red meat, a lot of peanuts and yogurt, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to convince Randy to follow the coach drink oatmeal diet to see Why? how successful he is. Because if, if coach is doing it, I feel like we should do it in solidarity as buy a show. I, I, no. It's, it's called buying, no. Dan. I'm not buying into that. Do do what makes you happy, Randy, okay? Don't listen to Michelle. Well, you bring up peanuts 
and I like cashews, and I like almonds, and I like raisins, and I like M&Ms. So you got to mix in the M&Ms. It's a little trail mix with a lot of M&Ms, isn't it? That's okay. I, I like that, too. you got to mix it in, man. You know, you got to have a cheat day or meals Life. or days. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like quarantine has been one long cheat day. Oh, my God. I, I can't imagine what, <laughs> what people are going to look like when they come oh, out man, of this. Sad. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I don't eat much red meat either. I wonder how much the sale of... We'll have to, have to ask our friends at Schnucks sometime. Over the last 10 years, how much the sales of red meat have diminished as opposed to turkey and ground turkey and chicken and ground chicken and with what's going on now with the you know shortage of meat that you yeah. read about and what is truly a shortage of meat i mean it's kind of funny i mean a guy was saying to me he goes well could be a shortage of meat but then you're not going to be able to get like the strip or the you know bone-in rib i'm like what come on that's not a shortage of meat yeah. i mean it's a shortage of choices maybe mm -hmm. right but not an actual shortage of meat i wonder if it, the sales of red meat really have diminished. I know a lot of people are making different choices. I agree. But, I don't know. It seems to me like people are still out there enjoying a steak oh, yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah, every they are. night. But when I was a kid, we would have roast beef sandwiches. We never had turkey sandwiches. I totally agree. And really? it was a cheeseburger yeah. for lunch every day. And yeah. you know, now we were active kids, so it didn't really matter. It's kind of like my old, I, so I got four kids for people that don't know. And my oldest, and they're all very, very active. And my oldest is um, going to be 15 in July. And so he is trying to put on weight. He has the diet that you all would yearn for. It's 8 o'clock after dinner, and he's like, Dad, I'm going to go ahead and just fire up a steak. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so he's eating steaks and, and eggs and anything he can so that he can get bigger and stronger. He's He's got his mother's genes, which is my wife is very thin, very fit, and so and she's very careful about what she eats, but my son just pounds food. I'm like, God. How do you do this, man? I mean, I'd be sick to my stomach, but that's what he gets. You uh, and I both covered Mark McGuire, and that's what he said he would do is just eat a couple of steaks to get bigger. Anything else, Michelle? <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. pole. No way, Randy. He was a big man. He's he, he a, he a big man. Yeah. Ate a lot of steaks. That and yeah, yeah, now he's, he's on the, the turkey thing, and he's thinned down considerably. <laughs> How about, did you see the pictures, by the way, of C.C. Sabathia? Oh yeah, my what's he doing getting in shape? I, I thought you were supposed to get in shape when you play. Yeah. But, you know, to, to that point, he did say that by having a larger body and being, for lack of a better word, fat or overweight, mm -hmm. that it actually helped him with his body on certain things with his shoulder and his elbow, because he knew his body so well. You can't pull fat. And I guess not, but he looks great now. And, he does. You know, it worked for him. He made a lot of money. You remember how when Fernando got thin, his quality of pitching diminished? Yes. Some guys are just better fat. Lance Lynn was better big. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there was something to that or the fact that he did change his pitching repertoire a little bit, you know, where he just went primarily fastball, two-seamer, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, he, he was – well, people forget when he was – you know, in 2011, he was called up. In Game 7, he was the setup man to get mm -hmm. to Jason Mott, and he was pumping 96 to 98. Now, you do that differently as a as a reliever because you can air it out and just let it rip, but he was a guy that threw really hard, and he did have a big body, clearly, and still does. But um, it's amazing, though, what he was doing back then. And my favorite Lance Lynn line, he said, Danny Mack, I got to tell you, and we were talking about his... Uh, pending free agency or something to do with money. He said, I'll tell you what, 
the closer I get to free agency, the better I look. It doesn't matter how <laughs> what kind of shape I'm in. It's just amazing how that works. I, I would laugh every time I heard that. Yeah, I, I believe it. I'm looking it up here. I think he had the second highest WAR of any starting pitcher in the American League last year. Yeah, and he, he, he did great. it with basically two pitches, and that's how he did it. And and to his credit. As the game is evolving um, with analytics, he didn't buy. He was very old school. I mean, if you ever watch Lance Lynn, he's as old school as it gets. But he bought into analytics, and the Rangers did convince him, like, hey, here's something you need to be looking at. This is where your success may be. And he adapted. He did it, and it paid off. So I'm a believer in analytics. I don't like all of it, but uh, for some guys, it's, it's certainly... What it does is proves to you, you know, you read about it and they tell you to do this and then it works. It's something tangible, basically, that you say, okay, now I can buy in. I get it. And so it did work for him. Speaking of data, we're going to need you to cast your vote. Randy and I have been talking about Will Leach. He put out an article at MLB.com where he picked the coolest player on every team. He picked Colton Wong as the coolest Cardinal. Randy and I have differing opinions on who the coolest Cardinal is. We asked Rick Horton who he thought it was, but we need to know, who does Danny Mac think is the coolest Cardinal? I could go a lot of different ways to define coolest, but I'll I'll go with Colton Wong. And the reason I would do that is that he could wear like gold shoes. He had kind of a pink glove in spring training that had the gold gold glove label on it. And he plays with a flair. So that's kind of cool, right? Mm-hmm. You got a little swagger to you. So, and he backed it up. You got to back it up. Like, you can look cool, but if you don't back it up, eh, you're out. So he, to me, would be the current guy that is the coolest because of that. And I think... As baseball is evolving with bat flips and some of the things that we see with that, you know, like he goes out and he catches a fly ball in shallow right. And he just does it with a little oomph, a little flair, a little coolness to it. You know, mm-hmm. I, that's my guy. And he's he looks the part. He's, he looks like a baseball player, but he, he's got his own shoes. He's got uh, the tats back to Hawaii. He's got the gold on the glove. I'm going Colt Wong. He wouldn't be the all-time guy. I think Ozzy would be the all-time guy. That would probably be my, because he was one of the best dressed. Remember, he was voted as one of the best dressed. And then maybe even on top of that, I'd have to go Stan. I mean, you think how cool Stan was? Okay, so Stan hits a home run with the day he becomes a grandpa. That's pretty cool. That's cool. That's infinitely cool. Um, His final hit and the final at bat goes past a diving Pete Rose. Mm -hmm. So the the symbolism with that is cool. He says, well, I'll be a GM. Okay, so in 67, he's the GM, and he wins the World Series. That's pretty cool. And then he's like, ah, I'm good. I mean, and then you walk around with your own card because everybody's asking you for autographs, and that's the autograph you give. How you doing? Sure, great. You want to, boom, there it is, autograph. That is cool. That's cool. I also think when you would list instruments in order of coolness, harmonica might be at the bottom of the list. Right, Stan, he made it cool. Stan he made, made it cool. cool. He pushed Absolutely. it to the top. By the way, today... This is May 13th, so this would be, yeah, this would be his anniversary, wouldn't it? Yes. It was 3,000 3, hit. Yeah. yeah, that tied in nice. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool, too. If you got 3,000 yeah. hits, you're pretty cool. And did it at Wrigley, right? At Wrigley. Oh. So, Drabowski. Yeah. Way to get him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're looking forward to Scoops with Danny Mac. Should be a great program, as it always is. We just count on that now. Well, I appreciate that. I love doing it. This has been fun. Colin helps out. We got uh, Mike Schilt coming up, and we'll we'll dive into what all the leagues are doing and where they're at right now. And by the way, last year, Verlander tops, uh, along with Mike Miner in the American League in pitcher war, and Lance Lynn was uh, at 7.6, so uh, he was wow. third. 
So pretty and, good. And that's, I mean, when you go into free agency or you talk to anybody that scouts, what do they say? What's your war? That's how, generally speaking, you can measure a player's worth. Yeah. And if you want a little fun thing we can do here, Lynn was third. Uh, your numbers four, five, and six guys in war. This is in Major League Baseball among pitchers. Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, and Steven Strasburg. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. That's why I said generally, generally speaking. speaking. Now, yeah. if you said, who do you want, Lance Lynn or Jacob deGrom? Well, I think we're going Jacob deGrom. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, they're getting him for $10 million a year. Three years, $30 million Yeah, for, for pretty that. good deal. Pretty good. Yeah. Have a great show, sir. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's the great Danny Mack. Thanks to Danny for... Uh, being with us in the crossover. Our thanks to our producer, the one and only Tommy Freeze Pops Carol, Colin Surrey running the board. Uh, thanks to Eli Drinkwitz for joining us. John Brebbia will be with us tomorrow. What a great guy. Character and Smallman. Yeah, we want to we probably won't talk baseball. Nor should you. No. I do I can you ask him yeah. one question? Sure. We kind of did start baseball, but it usually starts on opening day. What does the beard look like? That was, uh, if, in, if indeed he is even shaving at this point or not. to ask that. It's, of course. He's but awesome. He's fantastic. And we're looking forward to tomorrow. Michelle, always great to be with you. Thanks, Ronnie. See you tomorrow. And thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.